If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ram Castillo. Ram is a design director, two-time author, we'll have to hear about your books, speaker, creative live instructor, decision-making coach, that's unique, very cool, an approved advisor based in Sydney, Australia. He specializes in digital spaces, human-centered design, branding, and creative strategy. For over 15 years, he has been working for global agencies, and he has his own podcast called Giant Thinkers, which has hit number three on iTunes in over five countries and currently has 250,000 active listeners. Welcome, Ram. Arissa, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love it. Thank you so much. I love the thing about podcasts and interviews. You can be anywhere in the world. And I just love my international audience. I interviewed someone else from Australia just a little while ago. Well, tell me about yourself and where you grew up. Sure. So as you could probably tell from my accent quite quickly, I'm I'm from Australia, specifically Sydney. But my story begins before me, just like most of my parents. They're originally from the Philippines, and that's my cultural background. I have a father who is one of 11, and he grew up pretty tough in the Philippines generally at that time, uh, in the 60s, 70s, uh, 80s. And his father passed away when he was only three years old. And so he had to grow up very quickly. And then his mother passed away when he was in university. And the way out was really education. He ended up finishing marine transportation and mechanical engineering, two degrees at wow. uh, one of the so top he's universities. Brilliant, huh? <laughs> Smart dad. He is just hardworking, you know, like this yeah. is where the perspective quickly came to me, the self-awareness of a different baseline. And when we got to Australia, those two degrees were not recognized. And so what you have is wow, all know, that a work. father yeah. who just got out, all that work, exactly, and works at a factory just to support three kids. So when you start there, it's very perspective shifting when you look at a world with decrease of getting the thing, the patience, the decrease of resilience, because everything's given to us. I've often said that the bar of convenience is so low. It's so easy to be inconvenienced that it can be quite dangerous nowadays. But I'll park that thought. My mum, she's one of five and she had a mother who really raised all five. Her father, my grandfather, he wasn't really around. He was quite abusive. He was quite you know, into alcohol. And, um, uh-huh. and was she Australian? Was no, also Filipino. From the Philippines, and okay. And they tried to, you know, ensure that uh, they had opportunities for the future that they wanted to build and education was that. But they only had a tablespoon of peanut butter and a piece of bread sometimes. You know, my grandma, she had a little corner store to get by and a little sewing machine and she would 
she's the ultimate entrepreneur, she would make do. Mm. And so another sort of key story, uh, part of my childhood, fast forward to about four years old, I remember sitting in my apartment, my family had this, we just rented from place to place. So we had a little apartment. Mom and did you have spaghetti. brothers and sisters at this point? I did. Yes. And I still do. Of course, I have got older brother, younger sister. So I'm in the middle and uh, mom was cooking spaghetti. She stopped cooking, put her hand on my shoulder and said, Ram, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know, mom, I just want to make stuff. And I was kind of distracted. I would collect empty tissue boxes, toilet paper rolls. I would make oh, yeah? robots and cities. Oh, we didn't have devices. Very cool. Then, so right? you were a little inventor. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I would just collect things and just mm-hmm. make stuff with it. And then she said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know, mom, I just want to make stuff. And then she paused and said, well, remember whatever you want to do, make sure you dream really big. Oh, said dream much, much bigger. So she gave me at four years old, that gift. And I didn't know it as at the time, but just go after whatever you want. There's no set rules. There's no permission that you need from anyone else. Uh, Whatever makes your heart sing kind of thing. And so I'm tearing up right now. That was so beautiful. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. And you know, there wasn't this sort of, you need to pursue this path to be successful. Like I just never had those pressures. Yeah. Granted that we weren't wealthy, but I always felt that so financially wealthy, but I always felt that we, let's just put it this way. I didn't feel poor. Yeah. Right. And I guess it only came to high school where I didn't realize that we didn't have that, that much, you know, when my friends were getting brand new everything every year. And I would still have the same. You mean like brand new cars or what do you mean? Brand new what? <laughs> like jackets? Just everything. Like, like, oh. like in high school, you know, especially everyone had brand new shoes every year, a brand new bag, oh. a brand new pe- set of cool pencil cases. And uh-huh. I, I didn't see. have any of that. I didn't have that. Uh, Are you yeah. Kidding me? yeah. I, I didn't have that. Did that um, represent wealth to you at the time? Did you look at it and think, oh, wow. They're here's really the thing, Carissa. I definitely liked the shiny things that they had. And I was like, wow, that's cool. But when I got home, I was so well-fed, so well-loved. Beautiful. I, I, just, I felt safe. Yeah. It didn't matter. And it didn't kind of matter. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And so this kind of ties in with a big shift that I had, which allowed me to sort of personally develop quite quickly. I was the shortest in school, in primary school. I was, I had my arm broken three times and had 16 stitches before the age of 11 through bullying. I was bullied that bad. Wow. But your parents didn't feel like they should take you out of school or anything. They didn't know what else to do. No, we just, they just kept, you know, they, we just kept going, right? Like, (laughs) obviously that has taken its toll and come up in my thirties. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of the, these, these childhood traumas, right? But, yeah. Some of the unresolved traumas, I bet. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've worked my way through so many of that, so much of that. And I want to say these important things because mm. despite the fact of all that, I was in go to high school. I was still one of the shortest kids. I was never the most athletic, always chosen for the C grade. Forget about the B grade definitely wasn't going to be an A grade, but I just didn't have the athleticism as most kids. I wasn't the most intelligent. My grades were very average or below. I was great at art, but, and that's why I pursued design. But the point is like, I didn't have much. I was, you know, the saying, um, 
that I was, the, the likelihood was pretty low for me to achieve anything substantial or, or impactful because what I saw around me was just, I was average. I was average in comparison and everything seemed average to you. But what about <laughs> your art? Did you yeah. feel like you had something special there? Like did teachers recognize you or what happened there? Exactly. So I, um, pursued design because I knew at a very young age that that was for me. I knew by like grade nine that I was like, yeah, there's this thing called design and that's what I'm going for. And I would just constantly draw and make stuff, as I said, ever since I was four. So I was exposed to feeling and and gaining a lot of confidence in art. And yeah, people, I, I came first in art every year. You know, and it was the only thing that I almost had that was going, yep, you know, you're not worthless. You, you got something here, you know. And the thing that I loved about art specifically was, and the same thing I love about design is you can impact someone without ever saying a single word. And what we're really talking about now with what I do, uh, fast forward to now, but so I won't skip an important step. I ended up wanting to go to a design school that my parents couldn't afford to take me to. It was one of the top design schools in Australia. And at the time it was 45, 50K. Now it's like 90 to 100 plus K. And my parents couldn't afford even a fraction of that. So what I did, I ended up applying to, of course, universities, but other colleges that offered the course. Didn't get into, with my uni grades, into the universities I wanted, but I did get into a no-name college. Wasn't even known for having design as part of their curriculum. I took it anyway, because it was still the course that I could build my profession and have. And then I started in the mailroom, Chris. I started at Ogilvy of all places, one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. And in Sydney? Was like, in, in the world, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, but what city were you? Ogilvy in, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, okay. Correct. So you were still there, you were going to school and and then working in All the in Sydney. Yeah. Yes, my apologies. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was. It's all in Sydney. We're all in Sydney up until this point, and still am, and still am. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have this sort of opportunity to take a mailroom job. After, <laughs> what did you? How did you find out about that? My friend who I studied with, his auntie was the managing director at Qantas, and Qantas was serviced by Ogilvy in mm-hmm. terms of advertising and marketing. And he's like, "Mate, they're looking for a um, a mailroom." boy or girl right and I was like I'd love that job yeah it's amazing and like I already knew about Ogilvy right you already knew I was yeah and I was like I want to work for like a big agency yeah I want to work for a big company so at the time their clients were Dove Milo wow AFC Pizza Hut you know all the the biggest in the world yeah car brands Amex biggest brands in the world and so but everyone was like why are you taking a mailroom job like you're better than that. And I'm like, no, I'm not. This is fantastic. I get to meet 350 professionals in the first week. I get to know them by name. I have to, I need to deliver their mail. Yeah. And that till this day, Carissa has been the springboard to launching my entire career. Because there was some kind of spark in you that saw that opportunity and connections that you could make those connections with people, right? Like everybody else around you saw it like as a low paying, how could you like lower yourself to this? But you saw that just like your mom, when she told you to think big, right? Absolutely right. But it's hard to see that, mm-hmm. I guess, unless it really is something that that matters to you enough to play a long-term game. Mm. Because a lot of my peers, including my 
lecturers and teachers, they go, no, no, don't take that. (laughs) You've already finished your qualification. Because they felt like you would be pigeonholed, right? Or something. Is that why? Yeah. yeah, Well, they just thought that, why are you taking that sidestep? And I was like, no, this is the way. Like I need to be exposed. I need to be, I'm happy to be a fly on the wall. Granted, I was literally scrubbing, you know, shit sometimes because, <laughs> you, you, you know, I was, oh. I, I had to do, I was, the, I was, you know, the toilets were dirty. I'd have to clean that before clients came or I had to change light bulbs. I had to order printer toner, I had to stock the fridges. I had to do people's dry cleaning. Oh, wow. You know, I, it was, was so much was, more than the mailroom. Yeah, wow. Like you're just basically a, you just have to just be the person that helps everyone. And I was bottom of the barrel. But look, fast forward to now, that was 16 years ago when I finished yeah. more, more. 2004, I finished design uh-huh. school, right? So and then I worked did my way through. Did you start showing your work around? Like, did you get discovered there? <laughs> How did you do it? Did you slip it to one well, of the designers? That's right. And here's, here's the beautiful thing, right? When you're around, people start to, of course, well, two things happen. You get exposed to tools, systems, processes. You're like, okay, that's that department. It does this. How do they do stuff? You get to observe. You really get to be a fly on the wall. So you get to know pieces of a, one of the biggest companies in the world. You, you get to understand that was never taught to me in the course that I did. Yeah. Or never taught to me in a book or anything like that. The second thing is people started talking to me I started building rapport Mm. they go oh cool so you studied design what what are you into and then they started giving me briefs just for fun they were like oh look I'm working on this brief Uh uh-huh happy to mentor you I'm happy to coach you through this and so it was kind of just like informal yeah I basically had like 350 coaches and mentors (laughs) (laughs) right yeah and so now which was the better decision to not have done that or to have done that because here's the funny thing, you know, four years after that, I, I was already um, moving into sort of this midway designer role, going up to a senior. And because I, from there, that I started as a junior after that, but I was so much more equipped to, to do that. And then I just, the trajectory just increased faster. Mm-hmm. I started then having to do pre-round interviews for the company that I was in at the time, four, five, six years in. And I was interviewing people that I graduated with wow for more junior roles uh-huh because they just didn't end up getting a job they waited they waited whereas me I'm like hey I'll start from the mailroom I don't care yeah yeah right but yeah I navigated through that and I, I worked for other large agencies like JWT McCann World Group these are well known if you're in this sort of marketing communications world uh, I, I then ended up being design director for DDB service McDonald's and Audi primarily key project I worked on was the build your own burger touchscreen experience. And now they're permanent installations across all McDonald's in Australia and some in America where you just order yourself, self, self-servicing. Mm. And then my last role was head of digital design at Saatchi and Saatchi in Australia. And I serviced primarily Amex, Qantas, Toyota. And the key part to all this is I'm a multidisciplinary designer now and, I, and I'm able to even design probably one of the most fulfilling briefs that I've ever worked on was designing the next 10 years of New South Wales transport and wow. specifically the train. So it's like saying, hey, design what the next 10 years of the New York City subway should look like or yeah. the London Underground. Incredible. So I got that chance. It was very hard work. <laughs> I'm sure. Six months for phase one. 
and was one of the the senior designers on it and it was incredible you know asking questions like you know how could we make things better what's missing how could we make this more inclusive Mm-hmm. for people and that's really at the heart of what I do a long long roundabout way of saying you know that I specialize in human-centered design which is basically an, an application of design thinking methods specifically it, there yeah go for it similar than uh, to human factors and and correct ergonomics Different. yeah mm-hmm Yeah. So, I mean, the basic framework of human-centered design thinking is we've got this empathy phase and then we've got this define phase. Once we empathize, especially with the pains and gains, what are the pain relievers and what are the gain creators? And this is now where you can apply this to designing businesses and testing market opportunities. We empathize first with the cohort, the, the customer segment. What are they experiencing? You're not even coming up with solutions yet. You're just asking as many questions as possible to understand the Mm -hmm. human and especially their pains. And then we start defining what are the problems and what are the priorities that need to be solved the most based on viability, feasibility, desirability, of course, and and sustainability. Then, so we got empathize step one and define step two. Then we go into a prototype step three, where we, where we're basically ideating so ideate prototype that's around there and then we're testing that and then we are gathering feedback and then we're doing it all again mm, that's so amazing it's constantly iterative design is reverse engineering a desired outcome and we're always hypothesizing and proving or disproving that hypothesis and the hypothesis is usually stemmed from a an insight there's an insight that we've found. And this is the power of scratching your own itch as entrepreneurs, you know, design for something that you have observed in the world that you feel could be done better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll give you a quick example, Chris. I started a tennis boot camp business training for adults, mm-hmm. right? In a, in a pandemic. I started mm-hmm. that uh, just under a year and a half ago. Is that your business I've, now that you're running? It's one of my businesses that oh, ended okay. up only being an exercise. That's unique. To, <laughs> right. It was only meant to be an exercise, a little side hustle to, to test some of the advice that I was giving one of my clients. So one of my clients, he he's a coach, tennis coach. He grew up with Rafael Nadal and he was like, I just want to learn about entrepreneurship. You know, I feel a bit stuck and, you know, that's, that's what I do for people. I help them get unstuck lightning fast through these methods. Wow. Uh, design thinking specifically. And then I said, his name's Andy. And I said, Andy, look, there's one hour coaching and then there's one hour group coaching. And they're really, when we see this, they're just kids or teenagers. We don't really see like who's taking care of the adult and why do they feel that it's too late to learn tennis? Mm-hmm. And I had this insight from myself. You know, I, I wanted to be active and I wanted an outdoor sport. I didn't want to be stuck in the gym inside a confined space. Long and the short of it is I said, look, I think there's an insight here. And why don't we test this? Why don't we do three hour boot camps? Because the other option for one hour are these like very long summer camps, but again, they're for kids. So I said, why don't we do three hour boot camps for adult beginners? Within 24 hours, we up- uploaded that on Eventbrite. It sold out within 24 hours. I go, let's just price it. Let's just see hundred bucks, 10 people per head sold out just like that. We launched another one that sold out before we'd even done any heavy duty marketing or anything like that. Oh, wow. 
So now we've done over 20 boot camps, right? And that's just one example. I, I have about 11 different investments and partnerships and, and businesses that I, I'm a part of. Okay. And I, so you don't work for another company now in a design company? Right now, no. I, I'm now working for myself as, a, as an advisor. Okay, wonderful. And a business coach, effectively. Uh, Decision-making is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I was just curious on some of the projects that you worked on, what were the outcomes? Like, for example, with the touchscreens with McDonald's, did you hypothesize that they people would order more because they weren't embarrassed <laughs> to say they wanted like three shakes? And what, that's funny. what did they find? Did, so, um, did you measure the results and effectiveness of it? So I wasn't privy to the initial hypothesis of that particular insight as to why. What I was privy to was that it was only meant to be temporary. Oh, okay. These touch screens, because it's a big investment, right? Like you're mm-hmm. putting all this tech, this giant tablet times three or four mm-hmm. in a restaurant that's we call them McDonald's. McDonald's want us to call them restaurants. But we <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and hey, here's the funny insight of that, right? So they wanted it just to be temporary. So they would just install it and then remove it. But we ended up keeping it because it was so convenient. Now, the initial concept was create your own burger. Mm-hmm. And it was positioned as a restaurant quality burger that would come out to you on a wooden board. And you would sit and it would be a premium burger, okay? And you get to choose any ingredient. I think with the combinations, I think there was like 30 to 40 ingredients, which equaled over a million versions of a burger that you can create. But my point is that the proposition was personalization. Mm -hmm. In a world that was demanding more customized experiences for you, it mm-hmm. gave the power back to the user, the customer. Ah, oh, I see. You know, and so when we talk about propositions, actually, it's very important because it is about it is about outcomes. We're not selling features; we're selling the outcome. So one very powerful one that I saw recently uh, near my place here in Sydney was I was going for a run, and on the window it said the benefits of three hours of exercise in 20 minutes. Now, I don't know if it's a gym, actually. It could be a nutrition house. It could be a cycle studio. I don't know. But see, they're selling the outcome of time, convenience, the benefits of three hours of exercise in 20 minutes. Wow, that's powerful. And so Mm -hmm. when we position ourselves, we've got to think about what are we promising or proposing to our market that's beneficial? So we go down a sequence of why should I care? What is the problem that you're helping me with? Why? Then the how. How are you substantiating what you've just said? Then we go into the what. Now, what is it? What's the tangible thing? Is it a product, a service? I'm less concerned about if it comes in a book or Mm -hmm. a, a workshop or a webinar or an online course. I'm less concerned about that. I'm more concerned first by why. Why is it? that I am needing this as a problem solution pairing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's great. You could break it down like that. I wanted to bring up Zen success. You work with a lot of entrepreneurs. What does that mean to you to have Zen success? I absolutely love that question because I get 
the question so often, minus the Zen bit before the word success. <laughs> yeah, what is success? But, <laughs> yeah. but it's so common. I honestly, because I've, I've spoken in over 70 events around the world and there has been pretty much in every event afterwards, I do a Q&A and in every event that I've done Q&A, I get the question, Ram, what does success mean to you? And so it my answer ties in with Zen success, actually, because my answer Good. has been and still currently is this definition. My definition of success is how well I go to sleep at night. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because I've just shared to you that I've had very little and I've had a lot and I've had everything in between. <laughs> and if I'm not sleeping well at night, then is that really wealthy? Is that really fulfilling is that really successful i've had some nights where i'm like huh could you have done better could mm. you have been more honest could you have you know have you ever betrayed anyone have you ever been someone that maybe negotiated or compromised even their values did you disrespect mm. anyone did you not wow. you know and so that's the thing right you look at the lives of some very influential, dare I say, you know, very you know, publicly recognized people such as celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain. He died by suicide in the 18th of June, 2018, actually, at 61 years young. How about mm-hmm. Kate Spade? Three days before mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain, she committed suicide on the 5th mm-hmm. of June, 2018, at 55 right. years young. I mean, somebody, you would think that they have it all. I mean, both of them. Yeah. And it's just, you just never know what's going on on the inside. Never know. The most shocking for me was probably Robin Williams, you know, mm-hmm. uh, American actor, comedian. He died from suicide at the, uh, on the 11th of August, 2014 at 63. It's amazing. You remember young. these dates. Well, these are the key stories that I go, huh, uh, what's going to really penetrate people? You know, so Zen success is only relative to the perspective or the operating system that we are viewing as successful. Again, just my personal opinion, but I often ask people, do you know how much future you have left? And then they're they're like, no. And then I go, huh, interesting. So we can go at any moment, right? And then I um, I try to make it very, very tangible, um, Mm -hmm. Carissa. And you can use this exercise if you're listening, feel free to use this exercise because I then go on to say, we don't have to do anything. Everything is voluntary. We don't have to get enough sleep. We don't have to eat right. We don't have to build meaningful relationships. We don't need to upskill. We don't need to work hard. We don't have to be successful in work or life. Mm-hmm. Whatever version of success means to you, we don't have to do any of it. It's all voluntary. Mm. That's the thing. It's voluntary mm-hmm. sacrifice, voluntary discipline, voluntary delayed gratification. And this is why there's few great people that do great things mm. because it's all voluntary. Mm-hmm. And and so what I would say, if you get out your calculator, if you're, if you're listening, try this with me. Let's say you live to 100. Now, the chances of that is very low. But let's say 100 minus your current age times 12. That's how many months you have left. Now, that's somewhat statistically unrealistic because the world data, including the United Nations estimate, they have a global average life expectancy, global, okay, 72.6 years. For Hong Kong and Japan, it's 85 years. For Italy and Spain, Australia, it's around 84. For Canada, it's 83. For UK, 82. For United States, it's actually 79. For Mexico, Philippines, Philippines is 71. Now, do it again. Let's say we all lived in Hong Kong, Japan, right? (laughs) 85 years. That's 85. Now, 85 minus your age multiplied by 12. 
now that's how many months statistically are left. Mine went from 780 months to 600 months left to live. That doesn't sound like a lot, but there can't be light without darkness. There can't be courage without fear. There can't be calm without chaos. And so when we talk about Zen success now, what matters to you and how well are you going to sleep at night going for that thing? Wow, that's beautiful. I just want to end there because it's just so amazing. <laughs> and I, I just want to share something, a thought that came to me today. I had a really good day in my business and the thought came to me, but what impact are you going to make in the world? So I don't know if that was God, I don't know if that was my subconscious. But what are you going to do with that? You know? And I was like, yes, yes. And, and that felt really good because for me, it's like you were talking about sleeping well at night and maybe what you're doing is significant. I mean, look at how many people you're helping thrive in the world. And, and you have this amazing podcast, Giant Thinkers. And look at all these people you've interviewed. What was your favorite interview that you had on your podcast so far? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Look, I've had on such a diverse range of world-class experts from Kelly Slater, 11-time world surf champ to he's brilliant medalist. by the way. Oh, he's he's so guy. smart, like entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. that wave machine he created or incredible, license. incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Exactly. You know it. He is also when when I interviewed him, he so he would be a standout for sure. He really went down his demons. Mm. and shared very openly to parts that are not really publicly sort of captured, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty about podcasting. You get to have, <laughs> you know, 30 minute, an hour, sometimes more storytelling. You know, it's just like us in a room and and then and people are listening in and it, it's very intimate. So he shares some intimate stories. So I've had on Olympians, I've had on global heads of some of the biggest brands, Nike, Deloitte, Visa. I just had on Tim Hale. He was... He just, he finished up as at 30 years working as at Fossil. So 30 years at Fossil Group. And he finished up as global vice president of marketing and design. I interviewed the founder of WordPress and how that started. WordPress is 35% of the internet. So Matt Mullenweg, he's got, and WordPress is one company of the overarching group of Automatic, it's called. And Automatic has, has 11 companies. So look, there's so many standouts, I guess. One I'll share is with a mentor of mine. Her name's Debbie Millman. She's very well known in the world of design. She owns the world's longest running design podcast. I think it's going on at 13, 14 years now. And this will always sit with me. She said, Ram, but it's for everyone. She said, the longer it takes, the longer it'll last. And the more you'll be prepared for the success when it comes. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Ram. It's been such a pleasure. I'm going to include your website, social media links, and your books in the show notes so people can look you up, Ram Castillo. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Carissa. You are such a uh, a beam of light Mm -hmm. and you're very uh, calm and just you have so much to give and you're doing it now. And thank you for having me on your show. It's This has uh, been wonderful. If for anyone listening, just connect with me on Instagram, you know, say hello, ask me a question. I'm very responsive on DMs. And this is what it's about. You know, don't feel like you have to go it alone. Seek for help. And that's actually one of the fastest ways to get to where you want. Speak to people who have done what you ultimately want to do. Cut the guesswork. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Zen Success. Go to my website, Zen Success Podcasts, for a free gift and also to enter a VIP experience with me and other free gifts. Thanks so much, zensuccesspodcast.com. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. One lucky listener who submits a review will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a priceless VIP experience and gifts with Carissa herself. Be sure to head on over to zensuccesspodcast.com and pick up a copy of Carissa's free gift to help you on your Zen Success journey and join us on the next episode. Share with friends and increase your chances to win. Mm-hmm.